Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. I'm Joel Cantalamessa from RamNation.com. I'm joined by Mike Rowe. Hope everybody is doing well out there. Uh, today we are bringing in Kelly Lyle, the longtime CSU beat reporter for the Coloradoan. And he'll talk about the, the paper's scathing report on the CSU athletic department, uh, as well as the current state of affairs at CSU and across the NCAA with some conferences playing, some aren't the latest departures from the football program and all that good stuff. So he'll join us in a little bit. That'll be an interesting conversation. Uh, but Mike, hello. The, uh, the hits just keep on coming for the Rams. Uh, just following, what, two separate reports in the news over the last couple of weeks and then the cancellation of fall football in the Mountain West. Now we lost top receiver Warren Jackson, who's announced he's foregoing his final year of eligibility. And then uh, yesterday, Tuesday afternoon, um, Trey McBride, our CSU's second top receiving target and one of the best tight ends of the country, announced he's entering the transfer portal because he wants to play. Can't really blame either of these guys. No, no, you can't. And, uh, you know, for Warren Jackson, I was, I'll, I'll admit, I thought that he was going to come out uh, at the end of last year. I was, I was kind of shocked when he didn't, uh, didn't come out for the draft in, in April. I thought that he had – I mean, when you compare him to our – last four receivers who have gone to the NFL, you know, I think, I think he has better size and speed than, than, uh, Michael Gallup and, and BC Johnson and as well. And, uh, Hollywood Higgins. Um, I think he has better route running than, than Preston Williams. And so it was, to me, it's kind of a shock seeing how Gallup is considered a one, a receiver in Dallas. Preston Williams was, uh, really showing himself to be the top top receiver for uh, for the Dolphins, and and then BC Johnson, you know, was getting a lot of starts and and has now moved into that number two role behind Adam Thielen uh, in Minnesota. So uh, you know, I was just kind of shocked that he came back. But uh, now in the situation that we're all in, you know, it, it to me it makes complete sense. Um, he can use this time to you know the the knock was was this speed. So he could use his time to, to better that and, and to keep working on his routes uh, without taking all the hits that he would playing in the fall season. Um, Trey McBride is, is kind of a shock. You know, when, when Bobo was, was let go and, and they made the hire with, with Coach Adazio, he was one of the first ones to, to really speak out about how excited he was for, for the new opportunity with a new coach when all this happened last week with, with the COVID report or article and then the big bombshell from uh, Anthony, you know, he was kind of the voice for CSU United. And, you know, for him to possibly – now now this is the one thing. Like, he's pretty active on, on social media and, and, and maybe he's, he's trying to figure out his wording, but he hasn't said anything official. It says – it's reported that he might be going in the transfer portal. So, you know, still kind of holding out hope that it's mostly about kicking the tires and, uh, and seeing, you know, his different options. But again, I mean, it, again, it, it just seems weird how, how vocal and, and how active he has been in defending the program and, and, and defending this coaching staff. I too was surprised that Warren Jackson came back 
I knew that once they postponed the football season, he was gone. So that was not a surprise, but Trey definitely was to me. But I think, and I don't know what his trigger was, but I do think this is legit. And I, I think it's 100% related to him wanting to play immediately. Um, he'll have opportunities in the SEC or the Big 12. And uh, he'll, I think within the next week, he'll probably have his options and, and make that decision. Um, I think he's got a good case to get a waiver to play immediately um, due to the fact that Mountain West is not playing combined with the fact that all the allegations going on at, with CSU, whether or not he um, uses that to his advantage, you know, I don't know, but um, you know, I, I don't blame him for, for wanting to leave it. It's a bummer for CSU, but if he is, you know, he probably is looking at spring football as a pipe dream and, you know, it, or a low percentage uh, that, that, things are going to get better by spring and who knows what that season could look like. So if there are conferences playing right now and he has the ability to get a waiver and go play, he wants to do that. Obviously the NFL is um, his goal. So, um, and I think what my first thought was why make this jump when it's perilous at best that these conferences are even going to finish a season or, or even get to play. But then you look at it and with everything going on at CSU We've had down season after down season. Yes, I'm sure everyone had high hopes for next year, but if you get an opportunity, you've got you've got the opportunity to go play in the Big 12 or the SEC or wherever he's looking to play right away, and that he gets a waiver. Why not? I mean, even if it's canceled, you've got two seasons left to play, and uh, you might as well do it uh, on the biggest stage possible and position yourself, you know, for a, for as good of a draft draft pick as possible in a couple of years. So. So yeah, that's that's a big that's a big gut punch, um, and I think uh, for me, what's disappointing uh, about that is this is why I was really questioning the Mountain West trying to be one of the first conferences to announce that they were postponing. What what's, what was the benefit of that? Why why say who was first? The MAC was first, and then us, and then the Big Ten that yep. same that's yep. next same day. Why? What 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 do you have to gain by by being the first, because that's what you're opening yourself up to. Um, whether well, or not- I, to, to me, I'm, I'm wondering how much San Diego State, San Jose State, and Fresno State had to do with that. You know, you have three California schools who, uh, I mean, their, their governor, their school systems have pretty much from the beginning said that, you know, we're in, unless this is like controlled, we're not going to be on campus for school. We're not going to be playing sports. And, you know, that's three of our, our 12 members right there. And so to me, I think it's, it's something like that. I mean, how do you, how do you plan a schedule? You know, and they talked about it, they, you know, the Mountain West announced the week before um, that they were going to go with an abbreviated schedule and, my guess, my gut feeling is, is it really had to do with, with the California schools and, you know, taking a look at CSU, you know, we had one of the, the most stringent testing programs, one of the more focused on, on player safety protocols in the mountain West. And, you know, one party on July 4th and what, 17 athletes tested positive. You know, and then last week, eight more did. Uh, yeah, I, under, I understand 
that you would cancel or postpone, whatever you want to call it. But why do it? Why be one of the first? Well, be one of the last. I mean, there's no, there's no rush. So now you've got guys that are like, well, look, there's other conferences playing. I'm out of here. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to yeah. transfer. So we could have waited, you know, what's, what's the harm in canceling two weeks prior to the season, just saying it's just not possible. We, we tried everything possible. It's just not going to happen. And, no, and then, I, I agree. And, and the only other thing I can think of is, is, you know, they, they went off those California schools, but then they did this so that they could start, you know, focusing on playing a spring season instead <laughs> of pushing it back. Well, let's see if we can play on, September 5th. Let's see if we can play on, on the 22nd. Let's see if we can play October, whatever, you know, instead of doing that they're they were proactive and now they could focus on the spring. Again, I don't, you know, going back to what I, I, I talked about last week and the fact that there's no central leadership in the NCAA, this, see, this is something that should be, coming from the top it being worked out with all the conferences as opposed to just letting everybody fend from themselves yeah because this is this i mean this is the direct result you know it looks like the big 10 looks like it's about to implode i don't think it'll happen you know when you're getting 50 million dollars a year from tv money (laughs) you know i don't care how upset ohio state is and it's hilarious that nebraska thinks that they have something to, to bring to the table you know They've turned into a garbage program since they've since they've joined the Big Ten. Instead of having that leadership and saying, "Hey, you know, let's let's try to do this, let's push it back," and, and we maybe we have a late fall season, early spring season, but we don't have that. It's it again. It's it's basically every every school, every conference for themselves. Yep, and it's uh, yes, turned into this wild, wild west thing where there's these cavalier programs in the south that feel like they can play. And quite honestly, I I hope it works. I mean, are there going to be issues? Yeah, I mean, there might be teams that have to shut down midseason, and some you know there's forfeiting, and there's some that continue on to, to play an entire nine games, whatever they're they're trying to play. I for one hope it works because I think that gives a spring season that much greater of a chance. If they, if you could muster up and get through this brutal fall season where there's outbreak after outbreak, then I would hope by spring we have that much better of a chance. And, you know, selfishly, you've got some football from September through potentially next April. So, I mean, it, yeah. it won't be the same, but, you know, I guess if you're looking for silver linings, that could be it. Uh, one One interesting thing is – the American Athletic Conference, the AAC, which I think is the Mountain West's chief rival and peer that's fighting for this equality or trying to be that next power six conference. Um, they've said their plan and that's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. You know, if they're able to play a full season, how that uh, negatively impacts the Mountain West, if at all, but there was a, a rumor or a report that there were at least two Mountain West schools that actually reached out to the AAC uh, with interest in joining. I don't know if that's interest in just a season or interest permanently. Um, There was speculation that it was Boise State, uh, um, two of among Boise State, Air Force, CSU, and possibly San Diego State. I would, if I had to guess, if that's, if there's any validity, my guess is it's Boise State and Air Force. I mean, Boise State has no 
allegiance to any conference. They're always looking for the next best thing as anyone and any school should be um, is trying to, is trying to uh, better their situation. And then air force, you know, howdy duty has said multiple times that the mountain West isn't the best home for them. You know, they, they, he's been looking for, he's been mentioning that air force should be at a different conference. And I don't know if the AAC, how that even makes a, a more sense for them, except for the fact that Navy's in it. Um, but I have a hard time believing that CSU in the current state that we're in with all the stuff going on that we had any, <laughs> any uh, inquiries at all regarding yeah. that. So, so yeah, that's you know, another wrinkle. Yeah. It's, it's, again, there's so much that's going, that's being said. You, I mean, you don't know what, you know, what's go, what is going on with anything. Um, you know, we, we, we learned nothing from the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. If you look at that, you know, I was doing some research because somebody on the board was talking about, well, they played football then that, you know, they, they, they weren't wussies and they were real men and they went to school and I'm like, well, all right, I, I want to learn a little bit more about that. And as far as them playing football was concerned, most schools did. There were, there were nine schools that played college football that opted out that season. But everybody else that played, most of them played a three to four game season. And those, and those games started in late October or November. And you look at, you look at something like that, and this is, again, where, where, where uh, central leadership could have been huge. You could have made a pod. Split up, split up all of, of Division One football into four team pods and made a bubble with those four teams. And you play the three games, you match up with another pod, you get a fourth game. You know, I mean, that's kind of like your bowl. You do that in the fall so that the kids could play. You got any kids that want to come out for the NFL draft, they have some time in so that they could work on their skills so that they're not too rusty and go to a six-game spring season if, if you want to continue that. I mean, there's so many options that they could have done, and, and they did none of that. It's just uh, – it drives me – the NCAA drives me crazy. It, this whole thing could have been handled so much differently. Yeah. And you're right about 1918. I just looked it up. Uh, CSU went 0-2 that year, played two games. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. lost it. we lost at Denver, and we lost at CU. Uh. One of, one of those. It, was, it would look like a heartbreaker, too. Lost 16 to 13. That, that sounds like a Mike Bobo uh, <laughs> rivalry year. <laughs> Ofer again. Ofer in the state. Ofer again. Good thing, yeah. Good thing uh, DU doesn't have football anymore. Uh, yeah. Bobo would have lost to them. <laughs> All right. Well, it, it, one, one other thing that just came out, it looks like um, – uh, the NCAA is on the verge of approving like this 12 hour workout schedule per week uh, for the teams that are not playing uh, that 12 hours could be used across strength and conditioning meetings, and then five hours of on-field activities with helmets. So be interesting to see how this is structured. I mean, everyone's kind of learning and trying to figure out a plan on the fly, but, but uh, it'd be interesting to see how this coaching staff uh, deals with that. And all these other schools are dealing uh, deal with trying to prepare in a, a fall season when you're what six months away from from football again so yeah uh and then the other sad news that, that uh came out monday was tiny grant passed away uh 
legend, legendary college basketball coach. And he was a couple of years before our time at CSU, Mike, but uh, the level of basketball he brought to Fort Collins, I don't think we've seen since quite honestly. I mean, he, uh, he went to two NCAA tournaments. He beat North Carolina and UMass in a tournament in Denver. Uh, I mean, Nichols arena. Uh, I remember students used to camp out, you know, every game just to get tickets. And, uh, you know, I remember there were fire code violations for, for fans watching from the aisles. It was so crowded. And, you know, it was a true, the true birth of Moby, Moby madness. You know, you had Durham, Mitchell, Shippen, Eric Freehoff. I mean, that was a loaded team. So uh, it was sad no, I to remember see passing. The, uh, the run in the NIT when they, when they made it to New York. I think that was in uh, 88. And uh, the the right when right when they had that huge three year run where I think they they won the WAC one year won the WAC uh, tournament another year, and I remember that I remember that '88 team, just the passion that the that those teams played with, and the cohesiveness. I mean, you just you just listed all those players, you know, and and Pat Durham definitely was the star on that team, but it wasn't just Pat Durham. I mean, it was it was always and they were a fun team to watch. You know, I remember I remember watching the the games on Prime on Prime uh, yep. Sports. Yep. And uh, what is it? Uh, Drew Goodman. Yep. You know, doing doing the calls on on a lot of those games, and 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 it was just an exciting time. And he, you know, he was just a dynamic coach, and and yeah, it's a, it's a it's a tough one when you lose, you know, when you lose a legend like that, uh, especially. <laughs> I mean, the sad thing is, yeah, I mean, you turn to the ESPN app or, 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 or you go to the website and, and you see Colorado State pop up. And I mean, right next to, you know, the passing of a legend, I mean, literally right next to it is more talk about, about the investigation yeah. and about Warren Jackson leaving. And it's just, I mean, it, it's sad that, sad that he passes. It's sad that he's not truly getting his due because CSU fans are so focused on other items. So, but rest in peace, Tiny. You know, he brought a lot of excitement to Moby, a lot of excitement to CSU, and, and hopefully uh, Coach Medved can get us back to that to, to that level. Amen. All right, man, let's, uh, let's pause for a second so that we can connect uh, Kelly in here. Uh, that's the end of segment number one. We'll talk to Kelly Lyle from Fort Collins, Colorado, and next. Welcome back. I now have the privilege of introducing longtime CSU beat reporter for the Fort Collins, Colorado, and Kelly Lyle. Kelly, I've uh, known you for a long time. Done a great job covering CSU athletics over the years. Really appreciate your time. We were yeah. just chatting about all the fun stuff going on at CSU lately, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, fun, fun is one way to look at it, I guess. Interesting, right. uh, intriguing. Yeah, so when I reached out to you, I think first a couple of weeks ago and you were, you were in the mountains enjoying some, some well-earned time off. And I think that might've been like when the first story hit with the, you know, the COVID reporting issues and all that stuff. And, and then obviously last week we had the additional story, which was some disgruntled people in the athletic department, so to, to, to say the least. And uh, so I guess my, my question is, um, you know, I, I know that it was miles byline and, and, written under him, but I'm sure it was, uh, there was some 
background reporting by the entire staff, I would guess. So can you tell us like how a story like that is born? Do you, is it someone catches wind of something? Does, does, uh, does someone come to you first or how does a story like that first start? And then how does it build and come to fruition to where you, you guys feel comfortable? I feel comfortable if this is, this is valid. Let's, let's run it. You know, it usually it starts with individual people reaching out to you. Um, sometimes even anonymous emails or people that know you well sharing info, but saying you can't use my name, you know, you can't use my title, things like that. Um, this particular one, honestly, and, and I think Miles mentioned it in the story, I mean, the COVID testing was sort of the aftershoot, even though it ended up publishing first. It was, those were the same people that he had been reaching out to in a story he had been working on since May hmm. about the racial insensitivity, verbal abuse concerns. And, and those predated, some of those predated Adazio. Some of those went back to Mike Bobo's era. And uh, I know you had Anthony Hill on one of your podcasts and apparently he shared, I, I never did get a chance to go back and listen to everything he said, but it sounded like some of what he told Miles is kind of what he told you guys as well. So um, it, it's kind of an ongoing, so individual people, this really dates all the way back to the original publication of the Larry Eustachy investigation that Matt Stevens and I wrote when Larry Eustachy was still coaching at Colorado State, um, the investigation that Jack Graham had launched and uh, that had recommended that Eustace should be fired because of the way he was verbally abusing his players, emotional abuse, et cetera. Um, and so ever since that story came out, Miles, myself, Kevin Lytle, pro uh, Others on our staff too, actually, I think our executive editor, Eric Larson, had a person or two reach out to him as well, um, have shared these little nuggets of very questionable things going on in that athletic department that people just kind of tried to push under the rug or say, this is an isolated incident, this isn't who we are. And yet none of those people were ever comfortable enough to put their own job or their own scholarship on the line and put their name behind these claims or these charges. Usually what we would ask them is we would say, you know, well, do you have other people that'll back up this story? Um, you know, and are there a few of you who are willing to go on record? Because as a general rule, we don't report stories from anonymous sources. We do have some exceptions and it's a threshold that has to be reached. You have to get to a it can't be one, it's usually not even two, it's usually gotta be half a dozen or more, honestly, of people that all are saying the same thing. And even then, our editors have to know who those people are. They might be, they can be anonymous in the story, but our editor has to know who these people are, what their title is, how they would know this information before they will give the go ahead. And then the editors kind of weigh it back and forth. And there's a lot of give and take. Sometimes they're like, you know what? We've got three people saying it, we need five. Um, you get me five or six and maybe we can go. Um, I know the Eustachian investigation was very much that way when Matt Stevens and I were working on it. It wasn't enough just that we had an actual copy of the document um, that we had obtained. It was wanting to be able to verify that people said these things and that this really did happen and that somebody didn't just 
write up a bunch of BS and pretend it was an official document and investigation and forward it to us. Um, so that's usually how these work. So yeah, Miles had been working on this since May. Um, and I think the real, the probably the tipping point was when, when you had a, an administrator. So besides Anthony Hill being willing to put his name behind it, you also had an administrator, their mental health professional, Jimmy Stewart, who said, yes, I'm, this, is, this has reached the point where I can't not speak out anymore. And so he went, you know, Miles and him went back and forth and he finally said, yeah, you can use my name, you can use my title. Um, something has to be done. This is not good what's going on and it's getting worse in his mind. The lack of, I guess the lack of uh, concern from the administration that these things were happening. The general consensus from the people we were hearing was, let's just sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen um, and move on. We don't wanna besmirch the you know CSU's reputation, CSU's name. And unfortunately, I think a lot of major organizations, universities included, unfortunately that too often seems to be the first, the first thing rather than, hey, let's check into if this is really true, and if so, do something about it and fix this culture, fix this problem. That's the only way you get to what Michigan State had with Nassar. It's the only way you get to what North Carolina had with its academic scandal. That, that's how you get to that point when you just have a, a, a corporate culture of let's pretend it didn't move on and gloss over it and tell these people to shut up. It's an isolated incident. And by the way, don't tell anybody about it. It's, and, and, and that's a really sad thing when you get to that point, when you're constantly publicly saying my number one concern, my number one priority is the health, safety, and welfare of my student athletes. Well, and you in to, to the credit of Joe Parker, and President McConnell not coming out with that initial statement of this is absurd. They came out and said, look, this is very serious. We're going to investigate. We're going to hire a firm and we're going to get to the bottom of this. When you look at just in the paper yesterday or whatever, uh, Coach Will Muschamp in South Carolina said that the allegations against Mike Boba were absurd. You know, so there's, that's just the, the example of what you're talking about. One side is saying, no big deal, nothing to see here. The other side is, and, and granted, the CSU admin has taken a hit on this with fans. They're like, why are we hearing anything? Why, why haven't they come out and, and defended themselves against this? Well, because if you do that, that is the perception of sweeping it under the rug, right? So you've been up around the program more as much as anybody. How much of this did you, did you hear about over the last several years, you know, as you were covering CSU football? Anything or, or, or is a lot of this just kind of on the outskirts of the program? You know, I heard bits and pieces. I asked around at different times under uh, Obo in particular, um, if some of these things that people were alleging were going on. I had heard a few of the stories, the, you know, telling, the, telling a very dark-skinned African-American player, hey, smile so we can see where you are. That, you know, those kind of comments, um, you know, honestly, there were some, pretty strong charges against members of the staff of reverse racism saying, Hey, you, the only reason you're here is because you played a bunch against a bunch of white kids in suburban Colorado, hmm. you know? And so, 
you get that. And I think you get that in all sports. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it, and it's not isolated to CSU. Um, I never got enough of that to believe there was something to it as far as, you know, a widespread thing or a pattern from that coaching staff. But again, we have a lot less every subsequent coach and every subsequent AD that has come into Colorado State has dramatically reduced the access that the media has to athletes. You know, when, when Sonny Lubick was coaching and even when Steve Fairchild was coaching, we were at practice, start to finish. They, nobody cared if we media were watching practice. We'd walk off the field talking to the informally, not the formal interviews that we had set up. We still had those, but you'd walk off the player and you'd just be chatting with guys and assistant coaches and managers. And so I think that those types of things probably would have come out more back then because I was way more accessible to these people. I wasn't somebody they didn't know. I was a guy that they, walk, they saw walking off the practice field with them every day as were reporters from the Denver Post, at one time the Rocky Mountain News, maybe, you know, the Collegian, multiple media, um, sometimes even some of the Denver TV and radio stations. So I think as they've become more insulated from the public, from the media, I think it's been easier for these things to go on unchecked. And, and that's a major concern that I think anybody should have. I mean, I, I, I understand what you were saying about Joe Parker, but check the timing of Joe Parker's embracing Joyce's uh, investigation. Now, Joyce announced the investigation the day before, and then Joe Parker came out with a statement about, yeah, we need an investigation to look into all this. I fully support President McConnell. Um, Joe Parker didn't launch this investigation. And the one he launched on Larry Eustachie, by most people's minds, came three years too late, um, and through a lot of through a lot of ignoring complaints from students, faculty, other fa I mean, faculty on campus were coming to the athletic department talking about Eustachie and the problems. I know that um, people and staff in other departments, the athletic coordinator, the academic people, they were constantly and yet everybody just kind of allowed it to happen. And I think that I have had others tell me over the years, athletes, assistant coaches, head coaches, that that is everybody saw that Larry Eustachie was able to just go on his merry way, being that way, running his program that way, treating his athletes and his own staff that way, and the rest of the staff Everybody else was like, well, Mike, there's no way they're going to listen to my concern because look what they let this guy do. Um, and I know that there was some of that going on in the athletic department. I don't know how much that affected the behavior of other coaches, other staffers, how much that affected whether athletes were comfortable bringing up their concerns. But I do know that athletes literally laughed out loud every time I have ever in a group of athletes with no administrators or coaches around, asked them about Joe Parker's quote, open door policy. They literally start laughing because they know it's not true. They do not feel comfortable walking into that man's office and expressing concerns. Mm -hmm. The general consent, generally what I get told is if you do that, 
the first thing Joe Parker does is he then turns around and goes back to that head coach and says, hey, so-and-so here says this about you. And then you're singled out for abuse, punishment, ridicule within your own team. And then the coach does whatever they have to do to kind of isolate that individual without ever anybody ever trying to find out if there was any merit to what was claimed. And I've heard this from athletes in at least half a dozen different sports at Colorado State about they have tried to bring concerns to Joe Parker since he's been AD. Joel and I have talked about this off, off air. One of the things that surprised me on the announcement of, of these two articles about the COVID and then the, uh, the toxic environment, Nico Carvacho tweeted out a, a gif of somebody sitting back and eating popcorn, getting ready to watch all that, that was getting ready to happen. My thought is how much similarities there were between what was going on in the basketball program compared to what was going on the last few years in the football program and, and you know, so what, what some of the differences were between those and, and why, you know, it, it kind of seems like this was allowed to go on for as long as it has. You know, I think in the football program, whatever did happen, and obviously the investigation will hopefully shed some light more on what did, but even the various things I heard were not nearly, nearly as egregious as what was going on in the basketball program under Larry Eustachio. They were, there were some borderline things, don't get me wrong, some borderline how people were being treated, racial insensitivity, whether it's outright racism or not, different people have different views. Um, but there certainly were some things that raised some concerns, but I don't think anything was even remotely close to the level of what was going on on a daily basis for several years in the basketball program under Eustachie. I did not see assistant coaches who literally were cowering around the head coach, who were, you know, everybody was just always walking on eggshells. Players, coaches, players' parents, players' families under Eustachie were walking on eggshells. There were some that were afraid to come to games anymore because they, they just could not keep themselves from one, one just flat out told me, he goes, if I come to a game, I'm punching Joe Parker in the face for not firing Larry Eustachie, and then Larry Eustachie in the face for being the asshole that he is. So I hope language is okay on your podcast, but, you know. We've, had, we've heard worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I literally had a player's parent tell me that, who, would stop, who stopped coming to games at one point. I, I would imagine this is probably – wouldn't you say like a months long investigation we're about to, to see here? We probably won't have any updates on the situation. Have you guys have, have any more information come to light on your end? Has many more people contacted you to advance this story? And ultimately as a, yes, as a reporter, but as a, it's kind of a, an observer of this whole thing, how do you think this whole thing pans out? What might come of all this? Well, I think, the best thing for Colorado State, for everybody involved, and that includes people who may end up losing their jobs when all is said and done, is honestly the fall sports season being canceled in a lot of ways takes a lot of the time pressure off. There is no excuse now for this firm out of Kansas City, ironically, a tra transparent investigation led by a firm called Hushman and something, but anyway. <laughs> Um, 
nevertheless, there, there is no excuse now for this firm to not do a thorough investigation. They can't say, well, we didn't have time, you know, they were wrapped, getting ready for that first game or they were out of town recruit, they were doing this. No, there is no excuse for them not to be very thorough and to take whatever time they need to make sure they get as much information as they need. So I think that's a, that's a good thing. And I think it will take probably a month or more. I have not had anybody directly involved in the athletic program say anything since the first day or two that the stories came out, that you know the latest stories came out. But I have had multiple people across the university in other positions say they are so glad that story was written. They are so happy that story is out there. And then they don't say more, but it just, to me, that just means there is an awareness on campus that these things, there's at least a, a breadth of truth to what was, these people are claiming. Yes, you always are gonna have somebody, a disgruntled athlete. I mean, I, you know, Brian Bedard, who I think is one of the best coaches Colorado State's probably ever had. He and Tom Hilbert are phenomenal coaches. Brian Bedard told me, he goes, he goes, if you ask, 20% of my former athletes are gonna tell you I was a jerk and a lousy coach because you can't make them all happy all the time. That's just the nature of coaching. And so I get that. So you're gonna always have some disgruntled people but when it starts becoming a, a fairly significant number and you start having players kind of turning, you know, in, against each other in the locker room, and I'm told that there's at least been some of that was going on at the back end of the Bobo era and maybe even at the front end of the Adazio area where there was kind of a group of players that were very, very upset about what was being allowed to happen and how things were going. And another group that was all pro coach, go coach, he's great, he's going to lead us to, you can't have that kind of divisiveness in a locker room and say that this is a healthy athletic program. You just can't. You're going to have your few disgruntled guys in any locker room anywhere. I mean, you can walk into the Super Bowl championship celebration and somewhere there's going to be some guy that feels like he got slighted because he only got to play, you know, on the punt team all season or something. You're going to have that. But you don't, when you have 20, 30, 40 people, like, then you've got a serious problem. And I think that at least from what I had heard during, at least during Mike Bobo's final season, and maybe early this spring with Monadazio when they were doing workouts, you had that kind of divisiveness where there were, fairly large groups on both sides of that. And that's not a good thing. So on the other side of that, there's a faction that would call this a hit piece. What do you say to that? You know, I, that one just always blows me away. First of all, what incentive would the Fort Collins Colorado one have to put out a hit piece on anybody at Colorado State. I mean, I can sit there, I, you know, I can show you our, our readership numbers. Believe me, people are much reading about Colorado State sports when the teams are winning, when they're successful. Um, when there is turmoil and there's trouble, sure, there might be that initial everybody's reading about it, but the, 
interest dies off very quickly. It is definitely not in our best interest. And to be honest, Miles Bloomhart is a season ticket holder for football and basketball. I mean, he has gone to games for a long, long time. He's a CSU graduate. Kevin Lytle's a CSU graduate. Um, I'm married to a CSU graduate and the parent of a CSU graduate. But uh, so, I mean, we, we have no reason to want to besmirch the university, but we do feel like we have a bit of a duty that if there's kind of a wrong out there that's being done and somebody wants it aired out and wants something done about it and they don't feel they have the abilities on their own to address it, then we feel a bit of a duty to air their grievances and get it out there for people to, uh, you know, this investigation I think is, is very important given what everything I've heard and everything I've heard since it was launched from all the people on campus saying, I'm so glad Joyce McConnell is taking this step. This needed to be done. And uh, so I, you know, I think that's a, that's an important part. I don't think we definitely should not be part of the, we're going to sweep it under the rug and ignore it too. And to be honest, I've had many people accuse me of that over the years. There are a whole lot of the anti-stadium faction still thinks I'm, you know, in, in uh, Tony Frank's pocket somehow or something. So you're a consummate professional. You've been doing this a long time. Your job isn't just to report the good stories. That being said, we're all human, right? And, and your job entails daily interaction with some of the very people that were painted in, in a negative light in the articles. And I, I imagine that doesn't make your job any easier when you're trying to get information and when you're trying to cultivate relationships. And, and how does that affect those things? And, and probably with people that you like personally on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, it, it depends. And it depends on the person. Um, some understand that, you know, I'm doing job they're doing their job and handle it very professionally uh you know I've, i have talked to kyle neves sports information director at least half a dozen times in the past week week or two he's been as helpful and friendly as ever about helping me do my job and making sure we get what we're reporting correct um when i was doing the thing on football finance he was sharing that with others in the department to kind of help get make sure the numbers i was using were relative were as accurate as could be so that I wasn't just out there in the weeds and uh, I was very appreciative of that so that what and that meant it wasn't just Kyle that meant there were administrators in that department whether it was Joe Parker whether it was Steve Cottingham whether it was somebody further down I don't know but those people were back and forth I haven't had a reason to try to talk to Joe Parker other than for that story and he declined interviews but I'm told he's declining all interviews during the investigation, which perfectly understandable. Steve Adazio declining all interviews while the investigation goes on. That's perfectly understandable. There's sport there, you know, he doesn't have a football season to prepare for right now. There's no, he gains nothing from kind of getting out there and speaking out one way or the other. So I get that. I assume that, uh, you know, and my experience with Steve Adazio so far has been that he is a pretty, straightforward kind of guy um you know so i i don't know we'll see my experience with mike bobo was that he was a pretty straightforward guy so but you know i i heard these things on the side i heard hints here and there and you know but you hear some of that all the time i mean i've you know there's a there's a former player of sonny lubix that's still not he likes sonny but he wasn't too fond of larry kerr you know <laughs> i mean everybody else thinks larry kerr was the greatest guy in the world so you get some of that no matter what. Um, 
And I think, but I think it's important that overall that they get to the bottom of this, figure it out. And I also think that you can no longer, you, you can't, nobody successful really in any leadership position in any organization operating in 2020 the way that somebody in that position might have operated in 1970. And we all know that 1970, bullying football coaches was a pretty common thing. That's just kind of how a lot of coaches operated. A lot of really good coaches, a lot of really nice guys, but when they were running their football programs, I think they kind of took over that. And, and so some of it is even just a, a generational thing and a societal change, you, you know, we, as you're seeing from protests in the street, from athletes trying to organize into unions, you have to take their, their point of view into account. You can't just treat them like a piece of meat that's going to go out and win you football games and get you a million dollar contract. You need to understand that they are people, they have feelings, they have families, and you need to treat them with a level of respect that I don't think was very common from coaches to athletes 50 years ago, but it needs to be now or you're just not going to be successful. And I think that's true from high school through the pros. Well, that's all I had. I appreciate your, your perspective on, on the story. Mike, do you have any other questions related to the story? No, I mean, you did a great job answering everything and, and loved hearing your side and how you uh, vet your sources. And I mean, you, you, you always have done a great job showing both sides, you know, being a, a not being a cheerleader, but not going the National Enquirer route as well. So I, I appreciate that. It, Kelly, if you got more time, I got I got some other questions for you related to, to other stuff, obviously, going on in college football sure. and sports. You know, as if all this wasn't big news enough, we, we now have uh, the Mountain West not playing a football season uh, this fall. Other conferences are. So specifically – how did you like the Mountain West coming out so early? Mike and I just talked about this before you came on, but seeing what happened yesterday with, with Trey McBride announcing that he wants to transfer, I just, I just thought it was uh, – I didn't see the value or the reasoning in, in announcing this postponement, as they're calling it, so early or being one of the first to announce. Because this is – I don't know what you gain by announcing it early, but you certainly can lose by announcing it early with guys transferring to go somewhere else that think they can play. You know, I've throughout this whole thing, I have not been a fan of people rushing to make decisions. I kind of feel like there's been this, you know, everything about the coronavirus, COVID-19 has been something we couldn't plan for, couldn't predict. And I feel like too many people feel like as leaders, because so much was out of their control, they felt like they needed to exert some control by making decisions now. And I just think that that was a that was a bad thing to be doing. Um, I mean, you have events next spring that have already been canceled. Um, I just think that we don't know. Think how quickly the world changed. I mean, in early March, I had tickets to the Final Four as a fan. I was going to go. I was excited. I was covering high school playoff basketball games, a state wrestling tournament. Two weeks later we were all completely locked down. And I mean, everything, it happened that quickly. And maybe a recovery will end up happening that quickly to say it, you know, it can't, I think is a bad idea. And I think people making decisions too far out are assuming it can't, that the recover, that we can't bounce back as quickly as we fell into it. They may be right. I'm not going to say who's right or wrong on this, 
But I do feel like, uh, I think they felt like they had to do it because the Pac-12 and the Big Ten did it. And I think if they were to go back in retrospect and realize that, I think at the time, oh, and the Mid-American was the first, I think in retrospect, the Mountain West was, might go back and say, you know, we probably didn't need to make that decision as quickly as we did. I think at the time they made it, they were convinced that everybody was going to reach the same conclusion over the next week and that they didn't want to be the last one. And uh, again, they won't tell us exactly what went on in the meetings. The myocarditis, the, the heart condition thing was huge. But now we know that at least part of the big, one of the studies the Big Ten used for that was flawed. Um, and so who knows if it's going to be safe or not. I still don't think there's going to be a college football season, no matter how much those conferences try, because what are you going to do? Notre Dame just had an outbreak. They just had to suspend all football activities too. Well, mm -hmm. students home, North Carolina, same thing. I just think it's going to be really hard to navigate those outbreaks as they happen because so much of so many of the plans were assuming they were going to somehow be like the NBA and be in a bubble and be immune and exempt from having people test positive and get the virus. The only plan to me that would be viable to play a college football season is to know that you are going to have some people test positive. Know you are going to have to isolate some people, athletes, staff. Know you are going to probably have to restrict attendance, maybe have no fans at all. And, and have a plan that allows you to know, to accept all those and still move forward. I think Major League Baseball is probably a good example of that. They're moving forward. You look at what happened with the Marlins, the Cardinals. Will they make it through the full 60 games? I don't know, but I think they at least had a plan in place. And I'm not sure that college football was prepared to have a plan in place. They had a plan to test. We need to do this, we need to do that. But I don't think they had a, but what happens if there's an outbreak on our team? Colorado State Athletics has had 24 athletes test positive. That's according to the State of Colorado Health Department and their outbreak data published today. They've had 73 students and or faculty on campus according to their own numbers test positive. Of course, you have 34,000 students there. You have another, you know, thousands of faculty, staff, you are gonna have some people test positive. That's just your plan needs to accommodate that and still be able to move forward. And if you can't find a way to do that, then there's no way to no way to plan. I think too many of the Mountain West schools, too many colleges in general right now, didn't don't really have a plan other than that we're just gonna hope it doesn't happen to us. And if it doesn't, we get to keep playing football. This is the perfect illustration that the NCAA has no power in, in all of this. I mean, that they would allow half of the conferences to go ahead and play in the fall and, and half not, and just to make their own decisions. I mean, obviously we've seen threats of, of the, some of the power five conferences breaking away from the NCAA. I mean, is this just lack of leadership or is this just, hey, we're gonna step back and you guys do what you wanna do, or both? I, I think ever since kind of the, the power five status was created through the huge TV contracts, whatever. They were given voting autonomy within the NCAA, those five conferences, to keep them from breaking off. I think when the day that happened, you created another division of college football. I think you have your F, you have your power five, 
your group of five, autonomous five, whatever, whatever you want to call them. And then you have your FCS. Those are all still Division One, but there are three very different levels of Division One. Northern Colorado and Alabama are both Division One football programs, but they're playing two levels apart from each other. Um, and I think that that just when that happened, when the college football playoff was created without really any input from the NCAA, the conferences working among themselves and with the TV networks, I think it was inevitable that you were going to get to a situation where the something big would happen and the NCAA would realize they have zero control over college football, at least at the FBS level, at the highest level. And, and that's what's come out. They just, you know, Mark Emmert can come out. The say whatever they want right now about whether or not, but they have no authority within those conferences or within the playoff structure to stop a season from happening or to insist it does happen. They don't have the authority either way. Each of those individual conferences retain that authority. And that's why we're seeing the patchwork right now of six conferences that are forging ahead saying we're going to play. Some of them are delayed starts of seasons, modified schedules, and, and four conferences saying we absolutely cannot find a way to play safely this this fall. We're hoping maybe to revisit it and see if we can play some sort of spring season. Do you think that can happen, spring? I, I think at this point you'd be foolish to rule it out, just like I was saying, making decisions sooner than you have to. I think it can happen. I think if it does, you need to then modify next fall's season accordingly as well, because I don't think you can have two full seasons with – that little time in between for bodies to heal, people to rest. I think you would have to shorten, delay the start and probably shorten the 2021 fall or fall football season if you had a spring season. But I think it's possible to do. Um, it wouldn't be the same as a true fall season, but it would be better than nothing, I think, for most athletes, for most coaches, for fans, certainly for the re from the revenue standpoint for those conferences that aren't trying to forge ahead and play. Do you, do you think that this might be the catalyst that breaks apart NCAA sports? It's possible because if, if there's no season period, if there's no spring season, if there's no chance to recoup all the revenue that's being lost by these schools, there is no alternative for a significant number of these universities but to start cutting sports. We've already seen it. Stanford cut a ridiculous number. They have the, one of the largest endowments of any university in, in the world, and they could not find a way to afford to keep paying for those sports without a football revenue coming in. I think you just have so much of that. You know, they all say, we're gonna protect sports, we're gonna do what we can. But meanwhile, they're on the backside, they're asking for relief from Title IX requirements. Can we drop women's sports? Can we, they're asking for relief from the NCAA about the 16 sport minimum to play FBS football. Well, can we drop down to 14 and still get to play in the Mountain West? And, you know, it's going to continue. It's going to get worse. It's, uh, it's really unfortunate because it's going to, if it may destroy the entire model of college sports as we know it. If there is absolutely no football this season and there is not some assurance that that revenue can be made up. You know, maybe you can get everybody to the TV networks, everybody else to say, hey, let's just kind of pause and we'll see what we can do. Maybe you can find a way to gap it for a year 
just like Colorado State and other universities are doing with their bond payments. They actually gapped them for three years so that they don't face total collapse as far as how they're going to function. You might be able to find some stopgap measures to get through, but it's going to be really, really difficult for college sports to continue the way we know it, the way we're used to it being next fall if there is absolutely zero college football played this year. You've always had your finger on the, the financial aspect of CSU athletics. How does CSU cope with the financial hit that they're going to have with this? You know, if there's no season at all, obviously that's a big one. If they do play some sort of a schedule in the spring, it's probably not going to be with full, full stadium, partial fans. You probably don't have the CU game revenue that was going to be a nice windfall. All of those components, how, how, does, how does CSU in particular survive this? Uh, It's going to be a challenge. The one thing they did, their chief, their board of governors authorized early on to go out and they went and secured a three-year low interest loan to cover bond payments, not just on the stadium, but all the other capital construction projects that they've been building and were paying off with bond revenue for the next three years. So that gives them a little bit of a buffer. Athletics, that gives them a $12.2 million a year buffer that their cuts are going to be 12.2 million less than they would have otherwise been. That's substantial. Still a lost football season with no revenue is going to cost them even after you factor that out, potentially up to $16 million in a budget that's only 54 million. And that's a big chunk of money and they're going to have to do something, you, you know, whether it's laying off staff, whether it's eliminating sports, huge pay cuts, um, every school's, trying to do some combination really of all of the above. But I think it's going to have to be pretty drastic. And maybe, just maybe, you get some donors to step up and help you, If especially if it's only a one-year bridge thing. Maybe you get some relief from the university as a whole or the state of Colorado, somebody that just says, hey, you know what, this is a one-time thing. We're going to prop you up for this year, knowing that you're going to bounce back. But you know, Colorado State, I think, actually might be in a better position to survive that part of it than some schools just because of the donor connections that they've built in the, since 2010 when they've been raising record numbers of money from alums and others to support projects. They probably have at least a little more access to some big money people that might be able to help them weather that storm. They have the sponsorship deal with Canvas Stadium, they, the Canvas Credit Union. They have some things in place that might make it a little easier for them to navigate this than, say, the University of New Mexico is going to be able to do or Utah State's going to be able to do. And uh, But it's still, it's going to be, there will have to be some significant, significant cuts if there's no season, even with all those buffers in place. Wow, it's a mess, man. On a, on a different level, this, this came out, and Twitter has all sorts of rumors, obviously, as you know, uh, but uh, it, it's accessible. Is but, Bigfoot uh, walking down my street again? <laughs> you could find that on, on Twitter for I'm sure. I'm sure I can. So there was a rumor or a report that a couple of Mountain West schools had reached out to the AAC, uh, and I don't know if that was – inferred that it was for a permanent home or just something temporary for the year. Have you heard anything like that? You know, the only thing I've heard on that has been from people on Twitter. And the one thing that everybody, fans tend to lose sight of, decisions on conference membership 
initiative are not made by fans. They're not made by donors. They're not made by coaches. They're not made by athletic directors. They're made by university presidents or chancellors in some cases, depending on how the structure of an individual university is. And that makes it very, these things a lot less likely than the average sports fan might think they're going to be. Um, I just don't see that happening for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. I don't see Colorado State wanting long-term to be playing sports in a conference that where schools are in Florida and, you know, New York and everywhere else, just all over the place. I think they want to be playing sports against schools that are in this region, in the area their students are predominantly from, in the area their alums predominantly live, where it's at least a little more affordable. Can you imagine the cost of getting getting a tennis team to go play a match in South Florida for a conference and then South Florida having to do the same back here? Just some of the other things, even if you can say, well, football, they all charter and it's not as big a deal. Even if you do it, could say it could work for football, there's almost no way it works for all sports. I think you're already see. We saw that. That's why the, the whack. whack fell apart. Right. That's exactly what killed it. It lasted what two or three years, and that that didn't, yeah. that was. Yeah, you lost traditional rivalries. You had huge travel distances. You had a conference that was trying to span four time zones. You just eat. it's really hard to make that work. And I think that you know, I think sports fans can sit there, especially now that everybody's got a little more time on their hand and sit there on a computer and go, oh, wouldn't this be cool? Wouldn't this be a great thing? But the reality is, is I don't see those things likely to happen. Well, one last question for me, Kelly, your thoughts on whether they can be a hoop season. I sure hope so. Um, I think that if, if this country can kind of keep, keep up, the trend that I think really in the last week or so, maybe we're starting on again. You're seeing problems with students returning to school and places and things like that. But I believe that overall case numbers are still starting to trend downward nationwide, not just here in Colorado, they've been doing it for a while, but nationwide. And I think if we get to that, you might have a delayed start. Well, you're gonna have some modifications because again, these early decisions we talked about, some conferences have already canceled all competition, including the Pac-12, prior to January 1st. So you can't have non-conference basketball in a lot of cases. Um, but I think that, you know, things could look a whole lot different come November, December, when we're talking about the playing those things. And I sure hope that we're able to have a normal college basketball season. And that's not just because I pushed my Final Four tickets to this year. And <laughs> But also just because I think it's uh, I, I think we're going to have to, as a society, also kind of learn to live with COVID a little bit. Even if there's a vaccine, not everybody's getting it right away. It's not going to be 100% effective. So I think that hopefully we'll continue learning more and, about how to mitigate things between now and November when that decision really has to be made and people won't all rush to make it sooner than it has to be made. And we can find a way to move forward with some sort of a college basketball season. I certainly hope so for the athletes, for the fans, for the finances of all these universities, at least that gives them a chance to recoup a little bit of what they're losing from no football. Well, Kelly, we, uh, we all have been looking at the, the unfortunate fallout from the cancellation of football and what it means to the coaches and the players and uh, the fans, obviously, me. 
uh, finances. But uh, I know it's impacting media outlets who cover these programs. I mean, we've seen layoffs and furloughs, not just in uh, your industry, but across the board. But how, how are things going at the Coloradoan, and, and what will you do in lieu of covering football this fall? Well, I've already had, basically since March, uh, mid-March, my job duties have changed a bit to where, because uh, as, as my editor put it today, while we were having another discussion about how, we're re how we've restructured things, it's, uh, there's no full-time sports to cover, so he doesn't really need X number of full-time sports people. Um, so I now am uh, also our higher education reporter, which is why I'm learning even more about university finances. Um, I tackled a lot of it when the whole stadium stuff was going on, but now I'm uh, broaching it from other areas and talking to professors about cool research projects. And uh, that's actually kind of nice, partly I'm doing that partly because we lost the position, the person who that used to be her job duty no longer is with us. She got laid off in the early part of this. Um, and uh, breaking news. In fact, I got to get on a uh, update for the Cameron Peak fire here in a few minutes to uh, work a story on that as well. And Kevin Lytle's doing the same. He's doing breaking news in addition to what sports there is for us to write about. And uh, we'll see how long that goes on. But uh, in general, the Coloradoans doing pretty well. We only lost one position out of all that. And uh, it looks like we'll even, uh, corporate might even allow us to add that position point in the near future so um, that's a good sign and a lot of it's because we've built up our digital subscription base we're not so reliant on advertising alone as our sole source of income anymore and I think any media that's got at least a little bit of a digital subscription base is a, a little bit more likely to survive and get through this than ones that are 100% reliant on advertising because frankly most small businesses just can't afford the luxury of advertising right now. Well, Kelly, appreciate all your hard work and I appreciate you taking almost an hour with us today and uh, really appreciate your insights and, and everything that, uh, that you had to share today. So uh, it's all, all stuff that we've been wondering about and, and, I, and you shed a lot of light on, on a lot of the background there. So thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, Kelly, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. All right, take care. That was Kelly Lyle from the Fort Collins, Colorado, and longtime CSU beat reporter. Like I said, he is a consummate professional. I know he takes a lot of hits from our fans. The Colorado in general does because we're all protective of our university, our football programs, our basketball programs, the people that we'd like there. And uh, quite honestly, a newspaper is not their, their, their duties are not to just give us all the, the good news. Um, occasionally there's some dirt that, arises and they have to be there to cover it and that is their job so i have no well, it, it, you know it's it's really important and i sorry to cut you off on that it, you know it's, it's very important that you have that you have a local media source that forces universities to be transparent because then you know and he brought up a couple of them you have what happens it what happened in East Lansing with the, uh, with the gymnastics program and, and decades of sexual abuse to young women athletes. You have a horrendous cheating scandal in North Carolina athletics. Those were kind of things that were ignored by the local media. So I think it's, I, I think it's very important that you have, that you have something like the Colorado and, and, and these articles is as painful as they are to read. 
you know, you said it, we're fans. You know, we don't, I don't like to see CSU in a negative light. I don't like to see Anthony Hill having to almost die on that hill by himself for a few days because of what came out. But it's, it's, it's important to have that. As uncomfortable as it is, it's important for us to have that so that these situations don't get worse. I have no problem with them reporting on this as long as both sides are given equal opportunity to, to share their side. And, and as Kelly said, you know, they, they reached out to Joe and Joe wasn't in a position to, to give a response there. So, you know, that's, that's the only place where I would say, you know, if you're going to write a report like that, make sure you get a, a, the, the, the other side of the story or, um, you know, that, that first story with the, the COVID report was so one-sided and there wasn't really any, you know, as soon as that thing ran, we saw on Twitter a dozen or so uh, students, student athletes that said, this is totally not the case. I mean, they're subjecting us to this testing and this kind of uh, social distancing and coaches have always worn masks. And so it, it doesn't, that doesn't take a lot of effort to, to reach out to a few of the students that you're close with and say, hey, this is what we're reporting. Have you seen any of this? And just to get some comments there, because that was not part of the story. But you know, I, I, again, no issues whatsoever with reporting, reporting this news. You know, if you don't want to report it, don't have it happen in your house. So, yeah, um, exactly. So anyway, that was a great conversation and a lot of great insights from Kelly and uh, appreciate his time. Yeah, I would love to, uh, would love to have him on again. would love to hear more about what happened in basketball. You know, the, uh, the little bit that he, that he touched on was, was very interesting and really eye-opening to be honest. Yeah, and he was he was knee deep in that investigation, so that would be good. Um, we definitely didn't want to probe too much on that because there was a lot of other things of the, the current news that we wanted to cover with him. But that would be interesting as well as I mean talking to to some of those former players from that that uh, era. So that might be something that we look into. But uh, you know what? For me, Mike, I let's start looking at uh, let's, let's start looking at some some guests that. Uh, some positivity and happiness because right (laughs) right now man uh like i said to you off the air i mean i i have zero f's left to give uh with with all this it's just so depressing and the fact that uh we are what is it august august 19th when we're recording this so we are we should be like basically two weeks out from the cu game at canvas stadium and uh to not have that is really depressing and not having any football this fall is depressing. Mm-hmm. And, and then you top it off with uh, all this all this negativity and, and stuff that's going on. So, I don't know. It's not the best yeah, time to be, to be I haven't been on a sports trip. I haven't been on a sports trip since February. <laughs> you know, and that, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, that doesn't uh, happen. In... Well, you were, in March, we were out in Vegas for the uh, Mountain West tournament. Uh, but, <laughs> doesn't really count not since, you, we, since didn't we were to go eliminated. To a game. <laughs> right <laughs> they they were knocked out before we all touched down in vegas so we, we tried <laughs> so that wasn't a sports trip <laughs> we tried oh man all right well let's let's wrap this up just want to remind you all to uh please stop in to uh our see our sponsors uh mighty river brewing company you will love their beer you will love their facility dan and christine miller own that place and do a tremendous job uh, and then Ginger and Baker, they finally reopened the Cash Restaurant, and they are they are actually having dining up on the rooftop. So uh, that is a tremendous, tremendous place to uh, have drinks and food. So just uh, so stop by both of those places. They do a, they do a lot for for Ramnation.com, and 
and uh, keep us going and, and allow us to do things like podcasts and add new features and all that stuff. So appreciate them and their support. Michael, appreciate you as always. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Go Rams. Go Rams.